the first thing I have to say, which is of the utmost importance, we are now into February, at long last. So the sun is now, well it's not on the horizon, but the, the summer is approaching. The sun will soon be on the horizon at half past four in the morning, even four in the morning. I love that. The dawn chorus, the birds singing, the blue sky, the sun appearing over the houses. Fantastic. That's the good news. <laughs> the bad news is, da, 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 when you're listening to this, I'm having to record this early because I won't be around this weekend. When you're listening to this, if you listen on Sunday, please think of me. I am now, as you are listening, at Bogner Butlins. Oh no, dreadful. Please think of me. I'll be home on Monday. Joking aside, not that I was joking, Butlins for the entire weekend, Friday, Saturday and Sunday night. Noise, I hate it. Anyway, what was I saying? Joking aside, not that I'm joking. If I haven't mentioned your email, it's because I recorded this early and by the time I got your email, blah, 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 it was too late. How are you keeping? I hope you're all well. Talking of emails, raise rants at protonmail.com. Be great to hear from you. You'll notice I haven't done a weather report on this episode because it's all rather late in the day. In fact, it's uh, 25 to 2. Uh, I think it's Wednesday, is it? I've no idea what day it is. But there's no point in a weather report. There's hardly any wind. It's about 10 degrees and it's overcast. If you remember the midweek message, I was saying that some people like stories and other people don't like stories. You can please some of the people some of the time and none of the people ever of the time or some of the people not at all. <laughs> Something like that anyway. Here's a little story for you. If you don't like stories, skip through it. I think it's only about six minutes long. If you do like these little stories, have a listen. It's quite interesting. A friend of mine's dad had quite an expensive gold watch stolen from his bedroom. Uh, Phil lived with his mum and that's my friend Phil. He lived with his mum and dad and his sister Helena. And Phil was telling me that his dad had left the watch on the dressing table one night. In the morning it had gone. No sign of a break-in. They searched the house. His mum said, oh, you must have left it in the bathroom or in the kitchen. They searched everywhere. Couldn't find the gold watch. It had been stolen. So his dad called the police and this copper turned up on his bicycle, of course, as they used to in the old days. The copper looked round and he said, well, there's not much I can do. There's no sign of a break in. And he asked Phil's dad whether he'd lost it. You know, could you have lost it somewhere, left it somewhere? And his dad said, no, 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 I didn't lose it. I took it off before I went to bed, put it on the dressing table. In the morning it had gone. And he said to the policeman, you know, we've searched the house, we've searched everywhere, it has been stolen. There wasn't a great deal the policeman could do. He made all the notes and off he went. A few days later, Phil's mum had a bracelet stolen, a chunky gold bracelet stolen from the dressing table, her dressing table. That disappeared overnight. Now this was all most mysterious because again, no sign of a break-in, nothing at all. How was someone getting in? Phil's dad called the, the cops again and this chap turned up on his bike. He said, we've had another theft. My wife's gold bracelet's been stolen, chunky gold bracelet. And the copper said, has anyone else got a key to the property? Someone must have a key. No, only the four of us have got a key, Phil's dad explained. Just the four of us have each got a key, no one else. 
and the copper was trying to work out what could have happened. Could anyone have had a key cut? Perhaps at work, someone's taken your keys from your, your pocket, nipped down the road, had a front door key cut. And Phil's dad apparently said, well, it, it's possible. I hang my jacket up in the office. My keys are in the pocket. It's possible, yes. But who would do that? And the, the policeman did point out that they were a very well-to-do family. They had quite a bit of money. And uh, obviously they would have expensive items such as jewellery. So that could be the case. The policeman asked Phil's dad whether the items were insured and and his dad said, yes, they're insured or everything's insured. It's all covered. And he said, what are you implying? And the policeman said, I'm not implying anything. I'm just wondering whether they were insured. Phil said that his dad took umbrage at that. He didn't like the veiled suggestion that he'd hidden the items somewhere and was going to claim the insurance money. The policeman eventually left leaving Phil's dad in not the best of moods. As Phil said, there's no way his dad would try and do an insurance fiddle like that. The notion was ridiculous. So Phil's dad had all the locks changed, front door, back door, and there was a side door, I believe. All the locks were changed. And he thought, that's it. That's going to be the end of that problem. Until, (laughs) some days later, Phil's sister, Helena, she had a small lady's watch stolen from her room, her bedroom. No one could get in, no one had a key, the locks were changed, so Helena decided it was a ghost. Of course, the rest of the family just poo-pooed that. Of course, there's not a ghost. Apparently, Phil's dad said, you're mad, woman. There's no such thing as ghosts. And she said, well, what other explanation is there? I mean, it's a good point. You hear stories about ghosts, don't you, and poltergeist and weird stuff like that. But did they really take items of jewellery? I don't know. I wouldn't have thought so. Phil said to me that the family were becoming suspicious of each other. As he put it, it must be an inside job. Who or why? He just couldn't think. His sister wouldn't steal things. His parents wouldn't steal. And yet, in Phil's mind, that was the only explanation. There weren't ghosts. It must be a member of the family. So what Phil did at night before they went to bed... He put a little bit of sticky tape across the the front door, where it would open, the side door, the back door, and even the windows, the downstairs windows. A little bit of tape, so if anyone had opened any of them during the night, the tape would have come off and you'd see that in the morning. It was about three days later that a gold locket was taken from Helena's room. She had a little gold locket on a chain. That disappeared. The tape was across the doors, the windows hadn't been opened. And of course, that really did kick Helena off. That's it, she went off on one. There are ghosts, there are ghosts, there's a poltergeist. She was becoming quite upset, quite traumatised by the whole thing. In fact, the whole family were. Phil said to me that his dad had even been talking about moving house because there was something weird, as he put it, in the house. He didn't say ghosts or poltergeists, but something weird going on. Phil was into electronics, as was I, and he made up a little pressure pad put it on his dressing table with a... Do you remember the identity bracelet that lads used to wear? We all had them in the 60s, identity bracelet. He had one of those, quite a nice one, gold-plated, and he put it on this pressure pad, wired it up to a battery and a bell. So if you lifted the the identity bracelet up, the bell rang. One night, three o'clock in the morning, the bell rang out. Phil shot up in bed, sat upright. What's going on? You know, it takes you a few seconds to... Where am I? What's happening? 
put his bedside light on, leapt out of bed, switched the bell off. The bracelet had gone. He rushed out onto the landing, put the lights on. His sister came out, his parents came out of their room. They rushed downstairs. Where's the culprit? Where's the burglar? There wasn't one. They searched everywhere. The doors and windows were secure. How had the thief got in and out so quickly? Phil said to me that things were not good within the family. They were very suspicious of each other. They were even hiding things. Phil hid his money. He hid his wallet when he went to bed. He hid the wallet under the mattress. It was getting that bad. But he came up with another idea and he borrowed his father's expensive camera, which had a remote shutter operating system of some sort. He fixed that up somehow to the pressure pad. And the camera was looking at the pad from quite a distance away. The idea obviously being that anyone came in, took an item off the pressure pad, they'd be photographed. He had an old watch, didn't work, it was a nice gold-plated watch, put it on the pressure pad. The following morning, the camera hadn't been triggered. He waited two or three days, and he realised one morning the camera shutter had been triggered. Right, he thought. He grabbed the film, went round to his friend's place. His friend was into photography. An hour later, Phil returned with the photographic evidence of the thief. The family assembled in the kitchen. Phil said, right, I have the photograph of the culprit. They all looked at each other. They looked worried until Phil put the photograph on the kitchen table. There, he said. I don't believe it, his mother shrieked. The cat. The photograph clearly showed their cat lifting the watch from the pressure pad. They all looked at each other, aghast. There's a word, aghast. I've got an idea where the items might be, his mother said. Follow me. She went up the stairs to the attic. It was a big attic that they didn't use, but there was a staircase up to it. The cat used to sleep on the windowsill, south-facing window up there, and he would sleep in the windowsill in the sun. Sure enough, there was the cat. There was the thief. And next to him was the watch, the locket, all the stolen items next to the cat, who was sleeping quite peacefully on the windowsill. Apparently, there were several other stolen items next to the cat that no one had realised were missing. What a story, though, a kleptomaniac cat. If you relate that story to other people, you could say, I know it's true, because Ray told me. <laughs> it is true. Well, unless my friend Phil was lying, I know he wasn't, because I knew him and his family quite well. Remember his dad talking to me about it. A kleptomaniac cat. Incredible. A little item in the news I heard the other day. Apparently disposable vapes, you know these vape things where it looks like you're on fire. <laughs> They're being banned, the disposable ones. I don't know the difference between ordinary and disposable. I've never, I've never actually seen one of these vape things, so I don't know what they look like. But apparently they're going to be banned. And that made me think back to the old days of smoking Woodbine cigarettes, Swan Vesta matches. Was it, what were the matches, the ordinary one? Bryant and May, were they? Of course, as kids at school, we all had lighters. Petrol or the posh kids had, well, they weren't posh kids at my school, but the kids with a little bit more money, they had gas lighters. Whoa, they were, they were top of the range, the gas ones. Most of us had petrol, which was quite good fun because the petrol would come in 
sort of rubber-type cartridge things, like a little rubber balloon. And what you could do is snap the end off, normally with your teeth, so you get a bit of petrol in your mouth, and then <laughs> squirt it and set fire to it. So you've got this flamethrower, highly dangerous. I just thought of that the other day, talking of vapes and things. I thought of smoking at school. Then I remember the kids with their flamethrowers. And one boy in particular, he squirted it. It went a bit too far onto this other child's uh, blazer. Well, I say child, early teens we were. And his blazer was on fire. He had to take his blazer off. This was in the playground. He threw it on the ground. And of course, we're all jumping on it to put the flames out. And inside the blazer, he had his fountain pen, which, of course, leaked ink everywhere. The blazer was burnt and scorched. <laughs> I don't know what his mother said, but the next day he came in. He didn't have a blazer. In fact, he didn't have a blazer for the rest of the rest of the term. I think we were nearing the end of term. I expect his mother said, if that's the way you treat your school uniform, I'm not buying any more. There goes a news alert. We'll have a look at that. Meghan Markle and Prince Harry suffer a new blow or something or other. I don't know what they're talking about. I don't think anyone's interested anymore, are they? Oh, before I forget, thanks for all your emails about Paula. Do you remember I told you the story of the homeless girl, Paula? Well, when I say girl, early 20s, when is a girl a woman? Or when is a woman not a girl? <laughs> uh, yes, a lot of you liked that. And a lot of you said that it was very nice of me. I just felt sorry for her. Homelessness back then, which some of you have mentioned, you know, was it rife back then as it is now? I don't think it was. I, To be honest, I don't remember seeing anyone in shop doorways, you know how they sleep in shop doorways, cardboard boxes. I don't remember that. We had what we called tramps. Now, they were normally homeless older men who I'd, I think some of them chose to be homeless. I remember a friend of mine who knew a tramp. He was saying that this chap, this old chap, he didn't want a house. He didn't want to live anywhere. He liked living out under the stars, sleeping under the stars. So he wasn't homeless as such. Well, he was, but he didn't want a home, if you see what I mean. But Paula, that I think that was quite unusual to find someone like that on the seafront. I do remember one or two friends of mine had argued with their parents and they'd been, th well, thrown out of home, I was going to say thrown out. Not really. You know, get out and don't come back. And a few days later, they would go back home. And all they did was go and sleep round someone's flat or kip on someone's sofa and then go back home and everything was all right again. But I don't remember, apart from that Paula, I don't remember anyone being permanently homeless. I mean, she wasn't really. She could have gone back to her mother, but she wouldn't. I think uh, she had too much pride. But it all turned out well in the end, which is the main thing, isn't it? On a completely different note, for those of you that like poking around podcasts and seeing who's doing what, if you type into YouTube, Mark Manning, Mark with a K, M-A-N-N-I-N-G, Mark Manning, and then this much is true as one word. Do that as one word. This much is true. You'll find Mark's podcast come up, his YouTube podcast. You've heard me talk about Mark often enough, haven't you? We send each other audio clips and things. So have a look at that. It's another, perhaps another podcast for you to have a listen to. If you have any recommendations for decent podcasts that you listen to, 
apart from this one, not that this one's decent. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. Uh, any podcast that you might listen to that you might think, or you know, I'd be interested, Ray be interested, or other people, then let me know and uh, I'll mention it on here. And then we can all go and have a look or a listen, as the case may be. I'm forever looking for podcasts. I search all over the place, but all I can find are American ones or ones with music blaring out, people shouting. I can't find a podcast like mine, a chap sitting in his bedroom. Well, I'm in a high-tech recording studio, as you know, but just someone on their own at home, not with all professional gear around them, just someone interesting or not chatting away at home. I can't seem to find any, preferably UK. So if you know of any, let me know, raiserants at protonmail.com. I was podcasting of sorts back in the 1960s. Can you believe that? Reel-to-reel tape recorder, little three-inch tape. And what I would do is rabbit away on the tape, chat away on this little three-inch tape, then post it to my friend in Southampton. He would play it, then he would record on the same tape his message back to me and he'd post it and I'd stick it on my tape recorder and have a listen to him. It was a sort of podcast in a way. Well, was it, or was it perhaps an audio letter? I don't know what you'd call that, but that was quite interesting. And one or two other people I knew got interested in that and it started to catch on. Little three-inch reel-to-reel tapes, very easy to post. I don't know how long the tapes lasted, about 15 minutes, perhaps 20 minutes on the tape recorder. So it was nice. I remember sitting in my shed. I must have been mid-teens, chatting away to him on my tape recorder, sticking it in the post office when I went past. And then uh, through my door a week or two later, I get the tape back from him. And it was really interesting because he told me all what he was doing. This was all radio-related, amateur radio. Well, it was pirate radio. We were both pirates back then. And we were telling each other our pirate radio stories. It was fantastic. I wish I'd kept those tapes. Would have been quite amazing to listen to those now. I used to have a lot of tapes. Again, in my teens, when I was uh, into pirate radio, I'd do this DJing. I'd have my record decks and record it all onto tape. Not three-inch tape. There were seven-inch tapes then. I wish I'd kept that. Imagine me. <laughs> it's so probably best that I didn't. Imagine me DJing in my mid-teens, playing the music of that time, of that era. It's just a shame all the tapes are lost. Trisha's dad had a tape recorder, bless him, he's passed away now. And he had tapes that I put onto uh, CDs, DVDs, whatever they are, audio tapes of Trisha and her sister when they were tiny, very tiny, sort of two, three years old. And you can hear them talking and chatting away. It's fantastic to have that sort of thing to listen to now. Photographs, of course, are brilliant. I love looking at old photos. We've got a box full going back sort of 100 years BC. Loads of photos. Brilliant. In fact, I sent, um, sent one to my son in Carolina, North Carolina, the other day. We were looking through photos. He must have been a year old, possibly not even a year old. And he's sitting in the garden with me in the summertime. So that's fantastic. I sent that to him. But I do like looking through the old photos. There's something about old photos in a box or photo albums that is far better than looking on a, a device, an iPad or a PC. 
photos on there are good. They're fantastic quality and the rest of it. And there are videos, of course. But the old photos that perhaps are a bit grainy, they're black and white, or should I say monochrome. Sepia is another one, the old brown colour photos. We have a photo of our house when Trisha's grandma moved in here in 1920. Now, what was it? 1924, I believe. She is standing outside the front gate of our house here and had her photo taken. And what we did the other day, Trisha stood out there exactly where her grandmother was and I took a photo. So we've got then and now, 1922 or four, and then 2024. It's amazing. There's that house. It's still there. It looks the same. Windows have changed, of course. The fences, the garden, everything's changed. But the brickwork, the front door even, is the same one. We've kept our original wooden front door. We've got an outer porch with double glazed door and all that stuff. But the original front door, we were going to get rid of it. And our niece said, oh, I'll have that for my house. That's an original 1920s oak front door. And as she said that, Trish and I looked at each other. Uh, we're going to keep it. <laughs> we hadn't thought of that. It's a nice original 1920s oak front door. And it's in good condition. It's a bit warped. But it's all right, though. It's original, part of the original house. So I'm glad we kept that because we were going to have a horrible plastic double glaze unit put in. Actually, I lied. That is Trisha's great-grandmother, not her grandma. It's her great-grandmother. And if that was 24, which it was, that's 100 years ago. 20, 1924, 2024. 100 years apart, those photos. And the house is still standing. Back to words. Hello, Ian. Nice to hear from you. Ian says, when did people start adding the word so to the beginning of sentences? I think I've mentioned this before, Ian. What do you think of the weather? So it's quite nice, but it could be warmer. I like your new car. So I thought it was time to get one and it was cheap, blah, blah, blah. You're right, Ian. So I don't know where that comes from. I mean, I mean, I don't know where it comes from. So I mean, <laughs> anyway, now let's see. Where are my notes? Hang on, let's find my notes. I've got to get organised. It's very early Wednesday or is it Thursday morning? I'm not sure. Very early and I'm not organised. Hang on. Right, I was talking to someone the other day and they said, in your day, when you were a boy, did you go to a boys club? I did. I think I went at least once, maybe twice. I can't quite remember. A friend of mine said, come to the boys club. So I did that evening. I got on my bike with him. We cycled down there and it was a kind of, I don't know what it was, a kind of big shed, a big wooden hut place out the back of some shops. Anyway, it doesn't matter where it was. I went in there. There's a chap with a record player playing records and blasting out some dreadful music. I think it was 50s music because some of the boys, well, I say boys, they were 16, 17. I must have been about 13 or 14. So they were playing 50s music, which is okay. There was a, a kind of serving hatch in the wall where they had Pepsi. Do you remember Pepsi Cola? Always in bottles it was when I was at school. Our tuck shop at school used to sell Pepsi Cola. Sixpence for a bottle. And the thing about the bottles rather than the cans, you could put your thumb over the top, shake the bottle and then squirt your friends and get them covered in all sugary, sticky, horrible Pepsi Cola, which was a great way to spend sixpence and waste your drink. 
But the boys' club, they sold Pepsi-Cola and sweets and crisps. Boys only, being a boys' club, which was a shame. And I just didn't like it. A load of boys started hassling some other boy. They chased him out. I went outside to see what was happening. He ran down the street and they're all shouting after him. I don't know what they wanted. Well, they probably wanted to beat him up or something. Luckily, a lady in a car pulled up and she let him get in her car and she drove off with him. So saved him from whatever was going to happen. And I looked at all this going on. I just went and got my bicycle and I went home. I decided that it wasn't worth doing. It wasn't me at all. I don't know what I expected. My friend had said how brilliant it was. Oh, you should come to the boys club. So I did. I gave it a chance. I'm sure I only went that once. And then some time later, I must have been 15, 16. I went to a youth club, not far from where we were living at the time. And that was, oh, I don't know. I didn't like that. There were girls there, which was a bonus. I remember these girls just sort of lined up along the wall <laughs> and a load of boys lined up along the opposite wall, all looking at each other. It was all a bit odd. No alcohol, of course. Well, I suppose at that age they couldn't really serve alcohol. Again, it was fizzy drinks, Pepsi, Cola. It was OK, but I don't know. Again, it, it wasn't really me. I think I must have gone there two or three, maybe four times. I did meet a girl there, started chatting to her and we did meet outside the youth club a few times but it just I don't know there's something about clubs societies affiliations you know get-togethers there always seems to be argument little groups that lot don't talk to that lot and no one likes him over there and he won't speak to that group because so-and-so's in that group it, it just all seems rather weird I think for that reason, from early experience, I, I've never been one for clubs, societies, affiliations and all these other weird things. It's just something that I'm not interested in. Too many arguments, too much in the way of politics. Hello, Ellie. Thank you for your email. Ellie says, do you worry? She is a worrier. Do you worry? I don't worry. I've never been a worrier. I know that a lot of people do worry. I remember my father, he was a fantastic worrier. He worry about anything and everything. It was amazing. I've never been a worrier. He always thought that I didn't care about anything because if there was a problem, I'd just say, oh, OK, yeah, whatever. Talking of words as we were earlier, my word, it seems, once he reminded me, was whatever. I don't know what we're going to do about this problem with the shed in the garden. And I'd just say, yeah, whatever. <laughs> he thought that, that was an attitude meaning that I, I didn't care. I don't care about the shed. Oh, whatever, I don't care. That wasn't the case. I did care about the shed, perhaps the leaking roof, but I wasn't going to worry about it. I wasn't going to lay awake at night worrying about the shed roof, whereas he would. And he always thought that I didn't care about anything. Well, I do care. These days, I yes, I am awake at night. Three o'clock in the morning, I'm awake. For example, tomorrow, I'm thinking... OK, we've got to go to daughter number three's house, pick that up from her. Then we've got the post office. Then we've got to get petrol for the car. Gas for the car. Gasoline. <laughs> Three o'clock in the morning, I'm thinking if we go to daughter's first, then the post office, then we can loop round and get petrol. No, hang on. Probably best if we go to the garage, get the petrol done. 
then daughters, and then the post office. Is that going to work? Because that means going over the railway line. The gates are probably closed. If we go the other way, we go over the bridge. And I do this. I don't call that worrying. I just call that being mental. <laughs> Staying awake at night, planning my route, which is something I never did. It's only as I've got older. 20 years ago, I would have thought, oh, OK, yeah, we'll do the round trip tomorrow. I wouldn't have bothered about planning my route at three o'clock in the morning. So I don't class that as worrying as such. If you are a worrier, I know that you can't help it. I know worriers, mentioning no names. It's no good saying, oh, don't worry about it. That doesn't help. If they're worrying about something, they will worry about something. You can't stop it. You can't say, oh, come on, don't be silly. It doesn't matter. It won't be a problem. It'll be fine. Because in their mind, it won't be fine. I don't know why some people are frantic worriers and others like me don't seem to worry about anything. It's not, as I said, it's not that I don't care. I do care. And if we have a problem, I will go over it in my mind, try and work out a solution. As my mum always said, it's no good moaning about something you can do nothing about. There's no point in moaning about it. And I think the same with worrying. If the garden shed, you know, the roof leaks, and there's nothing you can do about it, well, forget it then. Pull the shed down. If you can't repair the roof for whatever reason, set fire to the shed. That's that problem gone. That's that one thing less to worry about, isn't it? Set fire to the shed. No, don't do this at home. Do you remember they used to say that on the telly, especially on kids' programmes? They're making something or testing out something. Don't do this at home. Of course, to us kids, that meant... Yes, do this at home. It looks like fun. <laughs> if it's dangerous, it's got to be fun. I knew a chap back in the 60s. He was a worrier. He worried about running out of things. He was a lot older than me. He was married. I think they had a baby. He was worried about running out of, you name it, toilet rolls, cigarettes, milk, butter, cheese, eggs, anything. And he, this goes back to kleptomaniac, or kleptomania, it's a funny word. It's, I looked it up, I forget what it means. Well, I know what it means. Klepto. I looked that up again, because I know you're highly interested. Klepto, look that one up. He would go out and buy a load of eggs, for example, and his wife would say, what do I do with this lot? You know, you bought dozens of eggs. What do I do with it all? Oh, well, it's just in case there's a shortage I suppose that's not kleptomania, is it? Buying food, or it, well, it is, it's collecting things. But he would buy lighters, because he smoked, he'd buy lighters. I've got to have a spare lighter. Then he'd buy another and another. And he showed me once, he had 15, 20 lighters, something like that. Oh, well, it's in case I lose one. I don't think he was mental, he was quite, quite an intelligent chap. But he had this problem. He would buy new things, he'd buy a new toaster. And his wife would say, well, we've got a toaster. Why buy that? Oh, in case it goes wrong and can't be repaired. And he had, in the end, his house, their house, was full of new items that he bought. Every room he showed me, or rather his wife showed me once. I went round there and he was out and she said, come and have a look. All up the stairs, there were boxes of new things, a new iron, a new toaster, a new kettle, all sorts of things that he bought. So that's kleptomania, isn't it? I do remember her saying to me on one occasion that she wasn't going to spend the rest of her life like this. She said, I can't cope with it, which is fair enough. 
She just had enough of it. She couldn't even, she told me, she couldn't even vacuum the floor, the carpets, because everywhere was just full of stuff. It sounds incredible, but I do remember looking around the house. Every corner, every shelf, every bit of carpet was piled up with stuff. He must have spent, he was on very good money. I won't say what he did. I don't want to give any identity away, but he was on excellent money and he just bought anything and everything, seemingly, for the sake of it. Now, that really is kleptomania, isn't it? I must look that word up. Hang on. Oh, I was wrong. Klepto, a person who has a compulsion to steal. I thought it was a Greek word. Well, it is a Greek word, meaning just collecting things. Oh, a compulsion to steal. Well, he didn't steal. I hasten to add, he bought everything that he had. He just bought too much of everything. So the cat I told you about, he was a kleptomaniac. He stole. He collected things by stealing. That's funny, that story about the cat. Now, some people are very minimalistic, aren't they? There's a word, minimalistic. In their house, you go into their lounge. There's a sofa, two armchairs, a television, and that's it. Possibly a coffee table. People don't have coffee tables anymore, do they? We do. We've got several. <laughs> I collect coffee tables. No, I don't. But some people are really ultra minimalistic. We aren't. Our house is full of stuff. I won't say, I nearly use the word junk. I won't say junk. Stuff. <laughs> We've got all sorts of bits and pieces in our dining room. I've got 1960s transistor radios, only two or three of them on a shelf. And there's a, I think there's a Morse code key. Trisha has got bits and pieces, like a, a glass shoe as an ornament, a shoe. And then tortoises, because we like tortoises and rabbits. We've got ornaments all over the house of tortoises and rabbits and photographs. We've got more pictures than the Tate Gallery. My brother-in-law can't cope with it. He has said, he sat in our dining room looking round and he has said, I couldn't do this, I couldn't live like this. It's all too much. But we love it. Fortunately, Trish and I both like the same things. It must be awful if one person likes a load of toot. I don't know where that word comes from, toot. As, say, I do, and Trisha doesn't. Imagine that. That would be difficult. I told you I bought some dolls, didn't I? Porcelain dolls. Trish doesn't like those, but they're in the lounge. They've taken their place in the lounge, and they stand there looking at us. Their eyes follow us around the room. <laughs> Scary Mary. Talking of collecting things, the BBC wanted to rerun the Alistair Cook letter from America things. I'm not going into that again. And they had lost or mislaid or, for whatever reason, didn't have hundreds of episodes. And they put out a, a plea. Has anyone got any episodes? Did anyone record the letter from America in the old days? Two people apparently came forward. One of them had was it 1,600 episodes, all on tape? He recorded all on reel-to-reel -reel tape, each one labelled carefully, Alistair Cook, Letter from America, dated so-and-so. And the BBC, obviously, I don't know whether they paid him anything, they should have done. But then they remastered the tapes and uh, they're able to now put them out to the, the general audience. So that chap that collected, all anyone looking at him would have said, why have you collected all these tapes, hundreds of tapes, letter from America, why? You're mad. <laughs> You're not a kleptomaniac because he didn't steal them. People would have said, well, he's balmy recording all those episodes. What is the point? 
Never listened to them all. What's the point? It worked out in the end that it's just as well one or two people did record a lot of the episodes, hundreds of the episodes, and keep them. I don't know how the BBC can lose stuff. They've lost some of the original Archer's recordings, I think someone was saying once. Various other things they've lost. I don't know how... The, I suppose we all lose things, don't we? But you'd think they'd have a some sort of decent system for not <laughs> for not losing things. If you know where something is, it's not lost. So if I can't find, for example, my glasses, and I know they're somewhere in the house... They're not lost, are they? It's <laughs> just I can't find them. The BBC lost some of the Dad's Army episodes. Do you remember they've redone them with different actors, which did sort of work. Very often, if you change actors on an extremely popular and well-known programme, it doesn't work, especially the leading role like Captain Mannering and Jonesy and Wilson. To have other actors come in and take their place doesn't normally work, but that wasn't too bad on uh, Dad's Army. Who watches Heidi High? <laughs> That's another old rerun that they've been doing now for years. Whichever channel you go to, it seems that Heidi High is on. That was quite good. Oh, no. That was based on Butlins. What have I said? <laughs> I don't know why I thought of Heidi High. That was based on Butlins, wasn't it? It was actually recorded at a holiday camp. Back in the 70s, was it? I forget which holiday camp, but uh, not Butlins. But it was recorded at a holiday camp. It's all corny stuff, you know. It's uh, <laughs> very old-fashioned stuff, obviously, because it comes from the past. But it was good. But it was good. It was a, a good comedy programme, along with Dad's Army and all the other programmes. I did go to Butlins as a kid, uh, a daytime, a day trip they did for people. You could get a day visitor's pass or something. I went on the rowing boats there. That's gone. The lake's now gone where the boats were. And they had a train, a little train that went all round the perimeter of Butlins. This is the Bogner one down in West Sussex. And I remember it and it was quite good fun. They had nurses. Well, they were dressed as nurses, I think. Whether they were actually nurses, I don't know. And they would play with the kids in sand pits and make sure the children were OK on the swings. And the red coats, of course. In Heidi High, they're yellow coats, aren't they? <laughs> but it is based exactly on the way Butlins used to be. But it was good back then. It was good. Shame it's not <laughs> Shame it's not good now. I shouldn't say that. On Sunday, we did the Great Garden Bird Watch, as it called, the RSPB, where for one hour, you, you have to print out your bits of paper and you fill in how many birds you've seen in your garden in one hour. We chose the most dismal time possible. One, honestly, one seagull, two pigeons, three sparrows and one starling. That was it. We normally have an abundance of birds. We have all sorts of different birds, great tits, blue tits, everything. I reckon they knew we were doing this. They knew we were sitting there, gazing out of the dining room window with our pen and paper. And they just thought, right, we'll keep away from them. <laughs> it's dreadful. But as the RSPB say, even if you have no birds at all, put that down on your paper. Zero, nil, nothing. Because it helps with their figures, which I suppose makes sense. I don't know why I'm mentioning the... Uh, it's the great garden bird watch, isn't it? Oh, several people have said, when is Jack Hargreaves on? I mentioned that, 5th of April, wasn't it? 6.30 on some channel or other. 
just <laughs> go online and look up some channel or other and you should find it. I forget which channel it is. I, I can't cope with all these channels. But I am looking forward to seeing old Jack Hargreaves in his shed talking about country matters. Excellent. I said the 5th of April, didn't I? Why on earth? Did I, that's the end of the tax year in the UK. That's worrying. Why have I got that in my mind? It's the 5th of February, which is next whenever, isn't it? It's just coming up now, in a minute, in a few days' time. April? Stone the crows. Just going back to Butlins for a minute. People have asked me about the old days and holidays. Did people all go to holiday camps, families? A lot of them did, not everyone. A lot of them did because it was a good, cheap holiday for the whole family with entertainment, plenty for the children to do. Places like Butlins, what else is there? Pontins. Do you remember Pontins? That was another one. I think there were several, but Butlins was the main one. It was a great, reasonably sort of inexpensive holiday for the entire family. People didn't have a lot of money back then. People don't have a lot of money these days. We took our grandson, along with his mum, daughter number two, we went to Butlins, was it last summer or the summer before? We went there for five days, I think it was. And it wasn't the horrible music weekends like I'm doing. <laughs> and it was really good. The entertainment was for children. You know, none of the music rubbish that I have to put up with. None of that. It was all child-orientated, so to speak. And it was a really good few days. I think we had five days there. Everything is sort of on tap. Whatever you want, it's there. The food, well, the food in the old days, they used to have like a huge canteen place and they'd slop up all the food onto your plate as you moved along the queue with your tray. <laughs> that was awful. These days, there are various restaurants uh, within the, the site. There's Papa John's Pizza Place. Have a pizza and uh, all the salad and olives and stuff that you can eat. You just keep going back for more, which I don't do because I'm trying to lose weight. Butlins won't help me lose weight, obviously. And there's a decent fish and chip shop where you can eat in a restaurant. That's really nice there. It's also a pub, so there's beer if you want it or wine. It is a good family holiday. It's just the music weekends that I don't like. But uh, you know, I'm not, not knocking Butlins as a, a holiday venue for the entire family. It's really good for that. And of course, for a lot of people locally, you don't have to go far. In the old days, when Billy Butlin started it, I forget where the first one was. I think it was Bogner. Then there's, is there Skegness and somewhere else? I can't remember where they all are. But he laid on buses and things like that. You get the train to Bogner Station, then he would lay on a, a coach or buses or whatever they were to bring the people to the holiday camp. A bit like you see on Heidi High now on the programme when they run the repeats. The people all turn up on the bus and they're shouting out, hidey hi, ho de ho, all the kids love it. Anyway, that's enough. That's enough of Butlins. I only have to do it once a year. But it really was an excellent few days with grandson and daughter. I think it was not last summer, the one before. Really enjoyed that. The accommodation, not that I stayed there back in the 50s, but the accommodation, the chalets, again, just like you see on the Heidi High programme, they were sheds, not much more than sheds, whole row of wooden sheds. <laughs> and the entertainment in the evenings for the adults, you know, when the kids had gone to sleep, they would have a notice board by the stage if there's a cabaret going on. Baby crying, chalet number 53. 
And <laughs> I didn't go there then, but I knew of all this. I heard about it all. So you didn't have to worry about your child, your children, your babysitters or anything like that. People were wandering up and down, probably these nurse-type ladies, on patrol up and down the chalets, baby crying in number 42. That would go up on the blackboard by the stage so mum or dad or both could go and check baby out. It was a, <laughs> the whole idea. Well, it was unique in its day. It was a completely fresh idea, old Billy Butlin. He came up with a good one there. And made a lot of money, of course. I think now Butlin's his own by, is it Born Leisure or something? I don't know, some company or other. But it's still kind of Butlin's. Just out of interest, not that it is interesting, Billy Butlin founded Butlin's in 1936 and the first site was Skegness, not Bogner. Would you believe my parents had their honeymoon in Bogner back in 1951 or whenever it was? 1950, their honeymoon. Bogner, I mean, of all places, it's Bogner Regis. For those of you outside the UK, I think that's something to do with royalty. Bogner was Bogner, and now it's Bogner Regis because some king or other or someone went there, I don't know who it was. That's something else that I could look up, but I won't because I know you're not interested, and neither am I. But Bogner is half an hour drive from where I am, half an hour west of where I am. In fact, from the seafront here, down at uh, Ferring, which is a small village few miles to the west. If you go to the seafront, you can see Butlins. You can actually see the big tents, the the roofs. Oh, it's awful. They've got these huge tent things. And you can see it whenever we go down the beach at well, Goring or Ferring. Trish says, look, there's Butlins. <laughs> Just to rub it in. <laughs> right, I'm not going to mention the B word again, I promise. We've had enough of that. We've also had enough of these ridiculous weather forecast headline things, news headlines. They're ridiculous as well. Moving on. Hello, Maria. Lovely to get an email from you. Particularly lovely, as I don't think I've had any emails from Brazil in the past. I'm pretty sure Argentina, somewhere South America. I can't remember. But I'm sure you're the first one, Maria, from Brazil. Lovely to hear from you. Maria says she listens to all the podcast episodes, which is good. And she's thinking of going abroad, never left Brazil before. She's thinking of going either to North America, which is nearest, obviously, <laughs> Europe, Australia. The question is, which one would I choose if I was in Brazil? <laughs> I don't know. I've never been to Australia. Some of the family have, and they love it. I've never been to South America, but that's where you are, so you're not going on holiday there. I've been to California. Europe? Well, yes, I've been all over Europe, I suppose. I don't know, Marie. It depends what you're looking for. In London, you mentioned London. Red buses, red telephone boxes. Well, they've gone, most of them. The changing of the guard, Buckingham Palace, all the royalty, the stuff going on there. Uh, the soldiers in their, their is it bearskin hats or whatever they are? I don't think they're proper bearskin now, are they? They've changed that. I think they're nylon or something. Not being biased at all, Maria, but I'd choose London. <laughs> if I were you, I'd come to the UK and have a look at London. Not only London, of course. The UK is only a small island, but there's all sorts you can see here. Scotland, I've never been there, but Scotland is lovely. I'd like to go to the Irish Republic, Southern Ireland. I'd love to go there. My son's been there. I know other people who have. And it's lovely, absolutely lovely. Well, you know, Mark, don't you? You live there, Dublin. 
So I shall advertise Dublin. Maria, if you're coming over here, go to Dublin. <laughs> and then you can tell me what it's like. But seriously, no, it's lovely to have an email from Brazil. If there are any other listeners in South America, raise rants at protonmail.com. Let's hear from you. Talking of London, it does attract, the city does attract visitors from all over the world. The Chinese love it. The Americans love it. I think everyone loves it. They see so much online, as I said, about red buses and red telephone boxes and all the pageantry of the royalty and all that stuff going on. That's what brings people here, which is good because you all come to the UK and spend your money here. Well, if that's the case, how come the UK is almost bankrupt? (laughs) I don't know. Are we bankrupt? We certainly can't uh, afford to repair the potholes in the roads. They are getting worse. I'm not going to go off on one with potholes, but they are getting worse and worse every day. It's just crazy now. There are so many potholes. You can't look where you're going when you're driving the car. You've got to look at the road. Fortunately, Trish does the pothole observation while I look at the traffic. So between us, we don't hit other cars or drive into potholes. (laughs) But it's madness, isn't it? In this day and age... You have to have your passenger pointing out potholes in the roads. Struth. Anyone would think we're back in 1840-something. I bet the roads were better back then, weren't they? I saw a thing online the other day. Roads that the Romans built, and there's pictures of roads that lasted thousands of years, and then roads we've built. Theirs are still good, and ours are full of potholes. (laughs) Oh, no, what was it? Roads that Romans built, and then roads that engineers built when they came along. I don't know. doesn't last five minutes. Anything built these days doesn't last five minutes. Right, that's the end of the pothole rant. (laughs) You'll be pleased to hear. Whenever I mention anything, such as potholes, I'm not going to use that word again, but such as that, in the old days, when I was a boy, in the 50s and 60s, we didn't have that. Everyone says, oh yeah, well, there weren't the cars then. You didn't have all the cars you have now. That's why you didn't have potholes. That's not true, is it? The roads were better then. The roads were looked after then. Now they're neglected. They're just left to do their own thing, which is fall apart. It seems whenever I say to anyone, oh, we didn't have this back then. And back when I was a boy, we didn't have that. Oh, yeah, but. It's always, oh, yeah, but. Oh, there weren't so many people then. Oh, yeah, but there weren't so many cars then. Can we blame the increased population and cars for every problem. Obviously, the more cars travelling on the roads, the more wear to the roads. Uh, They're going to fall apart, but they're not maintained. I think in the old days, yes, obviously, things went wrong with the roads. You did have things go wrong, but they were repaired and maintained properly. Anyway, that's enough of that. (laughs) Let's move on. Maria's email from Brazil has made my day. Brazil, how many thousands of miles away is that? I shall have to go onto Google Earth or whatever, maps or something, and see how far away it is. Not that makes any difference, but that's really nice. Another email, this time from Spain, an expat, as they're called. Hello, John. He (laughs) He says, do you watch Prime Minister's Question Time on a Wednesday? I have, John, in the past, but I tend not to bother now because... To be honest, it's just like a, I don't know, what's it? It's like a comedy show. It's a circus. It's a farce. The whole thing. It's just ridiculous. It's one side 
moaning at the other side. You did this. Oh, no, we didn't. You did that. Oh, yeah, but you did this. Oh, well, I can't be bothered with it. And I think most people, the majority of us here in the UK, John, we can't be bothered with it. No one can be bothered with it. You might as well go to your local school and watch the kids in the playground at lunchtime fighting and arguing and shouting and screaming and running around, you know. <laughs> you might as well watch that. Probably more entertaining, probably more informative as well. And now for something completely different. We all know that treacle is made from sugar during the refining process, isn't it? Treacle. Do you remember black treacle? As a kid, I'd eat teaspoonfuls of black treacle out of the tin, out of the can. Tate and Lyle, wasn't it? Really nice. And I like the clear treacle, the other one, on things like porridge, full of calories. Well, it's sugar, isn't it? But here's the thing. There we are. I haven't said that for a while. Here's the thing. I was asked recently about the Sompting Treacle Mines. Sompting is a small village just outside Worthing. S-O-M. P-T-I-N-G, Sopting. And there are treacle mines there, where treacle is mined, would you believe? Now, a lot of people do believe that. They believe treacle comes from underground mines. There are videos on YouTube about the Sompting treacle mines. I remember when I was young, I believed it. I remember people saying, oh, hang on, I must play this back. Am I saying I remember or remember. I must play this back in a minute because my son pointed out that I say I remember when I was young. Anyway, I remember when I was young, believing that there were real treacle mines in Sompting. And I even went with some friends to find the mines. Of course, I couldn't find them. There are pictures online of the mines, of the mine entrance in Sompting. And I think a chap did a, a video, a tour of the, of the treacle mines in Somting, and they don't exist. We all know, well, some of us know, that treacle comes from sugar, not from underground mines. I don't know how or when or who started the rumour, but it is, it's worldwide. I remember a chap came over from Australia years ago, a friend of the family, and he talked about the Somting treacle mines. I want to go and see them. Well, you can't. They don't exist. So it seems to be a worldwide thing. It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. Just think how a rumour or something like that can be started and it can just spread like fire and people believe it. Quite amazing. Talking of mines and things when I was a kid, another thing that we did, air raid shelters were everywhere back in the 50s in particular. Air raid shelters all over the place. There was a big park near us. Well, it's still there. They haven't built houses on it. Well, there's a thing. There's a surprise. But there was a mass of tunnels under this park, air aid shelters, water in there. And we used to go with Wellingtons and torches and things and have a look round. And talking of rumours, there were a lot of rumours about underground bunkers full of radio equipment and, and specialised electronic equipment we never did find any. Brooklands near us, if you look up Brooklands on the map at Lansing, that's on the coast about, oh, what, four or five miles east of us here in Worthing. Brooklands Park. Rumour had it that under there were nuclear bunkers full of electronic equipment and used by spies and all sorts and still in use today. And we found a vent 
sticking out of the ground, it looked like an air vent. That was it, as far as we were concerned. The rumours were true. That was the air vent, or one of them, for the concrete nuclear bunkers below the ground. I don't know whether that was true or not, but there were so many stories and rumours going around about underground bunkers from the wartime and even in use today in case there's a nuclear attack. Possibly some of them were true. There are bunkers around the place, aren't there? On the Isle of Wight, up at Ventnor, on the hill behind Ventnor. There are, well, they've, they've now concreted all the entrance. You can't get in. But these, what do they call themselves? Uh, tunnel hunters or something. They go around with cameras and lights. And they break into underground bunkers and places that have been locked up. And on the Isle of Wight, I saw a YouTube video about it, all this underground stuff. That was to do with the war, I believe. But they've now poured a load of concrete down the entrance so that there's no way in, which is a shame. I think places like that should be preserved. But it was great fun, though, when I was a kid, because don't forget, I'm growing up in the 50s, and it was only kind of 10 years previously that the war was going on. So there were all the air raid shelters and lots of wartime stuff still around, which for kids was terrific for exploring. Coming up to the end of the podcast now, thanks once again for all your emails. Maria in Brazil. I'm not going to forget that now. It's going to play on my mind. Is anyone listening in an exotic place? What's an exotic place? I don't know. Christmas Island. There's a thing. Ascension Islands. How about something like that? Anyone there? Send me an email if you're listening to the podcast episodes. We'll have to start a competition. The most exotic or far-flung place that we can get an email from. I've been listening back to the episode and my son is right. I do say member sometimes instead of remember. I think I say remember, but the R is sort of suppressed or almost silent. So thank you for that. I must I must member to say remember. Talking of words, Rob in Australia. Hello, Rob. Hope you're OK. Rob said he had to look up the word NAF, N-A-F-F. I think it was in an email I sent you, Rob, wasn't it? NAF. I think that word came from a comedy programme called Porridge, which is an old programme from years ago, and they're in prison. These two chaps are in prison, and obviously they can't swear, so they made up the word NAF, N-A-F-F. Oh, that's NAF, and that's sort of caught on. People actually use it. So I don't know what it means. It's a, a sort of nice expletive, I suppose, or a replacement for a not-so-nice expletive, possibly. Goodness me, I just cut another word short. I said, I suppose. It's suppose, isn't it? I'm going to be worrying about this now. Brazil. I've just been on to Google Maps and did the measure distance thing. From here to Brazil, it's 5,000 miles. <laughs> I've got it set to miles, so I don't know kilometres. As the crow flies. Why do they say as the crow flies? Why not as the seagull? Well, perhaps seagulls don't fly that far. I don't think crows fly that far, do they? There's another mystery. You'll notice when I said that uh, Maria from Brazil should visit London, I didn't say anything bad about London. I have my thoughts, though. I shall leave you with that thought. As they say, I shall leave that there. Thanks for listening. I'm going to disappear now. We are a few seconds away from the hour. Hope you've enjoyed the episode. Oh, the sun's out. That's rather nice. 
We're going to leave this episode here with the sun shining. Think of me, as I said, I am at, oh no, I can't say the B word. I'm at the B word <laughs> as I speak. The midweek message next Wednesday, I will try not to mention anything about the weekend I've had. But don't hold your breath. Behave yourselves. <laughs> I shall see you on Wednesday. Take care. Bye-bye for now.